The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today, I'm here with my guest, Brittany Fennell. Brittany, are you ready to share with some quality people? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, perfect. Well, Brittany, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So if you could please share a favorite leadership quote or a leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? So my most recent favorite leadership mindset is inspired by none other than Kobe Bryant. I love him. Um, So the Eagles had a mural painted in their practice facility and they listed out Kobe Bryant's 10 rules. And these are what they are. Number one, get better every single day. Two, prove them wrong. Three, work on your weaknesses. Four, execute what you practiced. Five, learn from greatness. Six, learn from wins and losses. Seven, practice mindfulness. Eight, be ambitious. Nine, believe in your team. And 10, learn storytelling. And you know, I, I love this mindset because it translates so well into being an effective leader and it really encompasses all aspects of both personal and professional development, especially as you continue to evolve over time. And actually, so the way I really like to view these 10 rules is, so every day I have to do number one, which is get better every single day, but I have to do it by following through on two through 10. So I'm going to get better today by working on my weaknesses, or I'm going to get better today by executing what I practiced, or I'm going to get better today by being more mindful. So this Mamba mentality is, you know, what I try to keep at the front and center of, you know, the work that I do every day, just striving to be a better person um, and an overall better leader. So I can really help, you know, inspire the teams that I lead and then ultimately drive results for the organizations I serve. All right. So I I personally love that because Kobe and I were about the same age. I remember when he came into the NBA, right when I was kind of almost at the verge of finishing up high school, followed his entire career, unfortunately kind of followed his his passing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, For me personally, he is the best player ever in basketball and that Mamba mentality. love it. it it was his focus his drive to be the best and I've watched so many things on him now that he's passed mm-hmm. that have really had me in the mindset like man I didn't realize this guy was such just you know the guy that he was um, mm-hmm. I'll share with you really quickly I had the chance to start my healthcare career at Duke Hospital and we were we were in a meeting where Coach K came and did a presentation for our administrative team 
Um, but this was right around the time when he was coaching for the Olympics and Kobe Bryant was on his team. And he himself, you know, Coach K was just like, I've never met a person like Kobe Bryant. And it was like, he's the most competitive, most intense person he's ever met. But now you apply that mindset to what we do as quality professionals. I mean, you can't help but not have or want to have a Mamba mentality for everything we're trying to do to, to improve healthcare. So um, I love it. That, that's the most original start to, the, to these conversations. So I really appreciate that mindset. So, Brittany, let me move you into my next question, because, again, we've only just really started getting to know each other through our work with the Georgia Association for Healthcare Quality. So this is as much a chance for me to learn about you as to get you connected with our audience at large. But, um, Brittany, I'd love if you could please describe for us uh, your current role, your professional background, and definitely what got you into this career path. Absolutely. Um, so currently I serve as the director of quality metrics for Medcura Health here in the Atlanta metropolitan area. And my role is focused on establishing processes and building infrastructure for us to see continuous improvement in this value-based care world, you know, where our reimbursement is now becoming more and more tied to our quality outcomes. Um, so I focus on developing and implementing, you know, different processes so that we can improve our HEDA scores and our CMS star rating so we can really thrive as this transition moves. Um, but how I got to this point is actually a little different. Um, so since the age of about 15, I'd say, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I had a series of situations where I really began to question healthcare. You know, I didn't understand why some people got better care than others. Um, I didn't understand why some people had better outcomes than others, despite, you know, all other variables remaining consistent other than where they lived or what they looked like. Um, I didn't understand why some people couldn't afford health care, you know, so it really made me start to question the system as a whole. And frankly, just to be frank, it made me angry. <laughs> and so, you know, my solution, you know, 15 year old me when I'm in high school, I'm like, okay. I'm going to be a physician. I'm going to go work in these underserved areas, and that'll completely solve the problem. And totally oversimplified, right? But you know that's where my head was at. Um, so I did my undergrad at the Ohio State University. You know I was pre-med, and then when the time came for me to start, you know, going to medical school, I couldn't for the life of me get in. Um, I had perfect grades. I had a stellar MCAT score. I was super active on campus. You know, I was a woman, I was a black woman. I felt like I had everything that I really needed to kind of move forward. Um, and, you know, now looking back, it's just really evident that God clearly had other plans for me, but at the time I was completely devastated. Um, so I took a year off and continued working as a pharmacy technician as I did in undergrad. And while I was looking for, you know, other opportunities, cause you know, I had this time, I ended up getting a job at Aetna, working for one of their managed care programs. Um, and it was, it was a really exciting time because it was just as a lot of things were taking off as a result of the Affordable Care Act. Um, so my role there was involved with a three-way contract between CMS, Aetna, and then the Ohio Department of Medicaid. And it was a three-year demonstration project where we were working to integrate benefits and align incentives for fee-for-service and capitated models. So I ended up joining like July 7th, like right after the holiday, and they had just gotten started like a few weeks before. So it was literally a situation where 
it felt like we were building the plane as we were flying it. So it was an incredible, incredible learning experience. It opened my eyes to the quality world. You know, I was learning about, you know, health plans and the payer side of things. I learned about HEDIS. I learned about, you know, fee-for-service and value-based reimbursement, you know, all these things that I never even knew existed. And so as I was getting into this job, it, it made me start to realize that in order to really have the impact I was hoping to have by being a physician, I would be better positioned to try to address this from the administrative side so I could really scale. Um, so I stayed at Aetna. I got a really good mentor there. Um, I went up to her one day and I was like, hey, I think I want your job when I grow up. What do I do? Um, so she took me under her wing. She let me come into you know, meetings with her and sit through these conference calls and hear you know, how these leaders are thinking. And she would, I mean, there would be times where she would mute the phone and say, okay, Brittany, what do you think? And we would just talk through these things. And she really helped me develop, you know, this skill set that I'm so grateful for and really just took me under her wings. But I spent a few years at Aetna, ultimately went back to school again, but I pivoted and I went and got my MBA again at Ohio State, um, focusing on operations, but on the healthcare management track. So to continue, uh, during my MBA program, I then interned at IU Health, and I was working in the Revenue Cycle Clinical Support Services Group, and that's where I was then introduced to inpatient quality. Um, so my internship there was focused on improving length of stay for hospitals within the system, so through, you know, enhancing our operational processes, through looking through our documentation and coding, um, and just communicating the benefits to our leaders, you know, from a financial perspective, but also from a patient perspective and just having better outcomes. Um, so I spent some time there, got an offer, came back full time and actually pivoted again and went into finance. Um, an intentional pivot, one that was hard to make, but I knew that in order for me to really achieve these long term goals, I have to get finance down. So I sucked it up. <laughs> I went into finance. I was there for just under two years in that department. Um, and then eventually went back into the revenue cycle clinical support group to really run now that I had, you know, the finance piece and then the quality experience. Um, so a little bit of a non-traditional, you know, way to get here, but, you know, I've been very excited on this journey and I've learned a lot. Well, I think one of the most consistent things I found with running this podcast, um, Brittany, is just about all of us have a very, very unique way on what got us into healthcare one, and then what got us into quality two. Um, so I think you're, you're right there among, you know, among fellow colleagues, all of us have quirky, unique, weird stories. Um, let me, let me kind of first give a shout out to uh, Michigan. Um, <laughs> so this Let's is- Let's cancel this now. <laughs> I want to talk uh, about it. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I'm a University of Miami person, so Ohio State um, is not high on our list. Uh, but no, just joking there. But uh, it, it was actually an interesting game this past weekend. Um, I would love to just kind of go off script. So I'm, I'm doing a good job giving you a heads up on this one. Um, can you just tell me more? I mean, especially with your unique path to get into quality, to go, you know, from a, a fantastic organization. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with... Um, Indiana just by reputation, if anything, but they have a very strong reputation to, you know, the work that you're doing now as director of quality metrics, but can you talk about the development process? I mean, you mentioned you had a great 
mentor and a great leader at one point, but anything else um, in terms of just ongoing education from your MBA to certifications to projects, what are some other things that you've done that have just helped to grow your overall skill set as a quality professional? So a combination of everything you've mentioned. So I'll touch on all three or four. Um, so first, definitely getting a good mentor at every organization you work at. Um, I have been blessed to just have individuals that were open and willing to pour into me, to share their knowledge, to share their insights, to help me grow as a leader. Um, so I think whenever you are interested in a particular field or a particular area, seek out those opportunities because a lot of time, you know, leaders are willing to pay it forward because someone has done it for them. So my first, you know, piece of advice and something that I think has been very helpful is having good mentors to kind of talk through things with and bounce ideas off of and, you know, just have an overall person that'll help guide you. Secondly, I think one thing that really helped progress was taking on opportunities that I did not want to do. And when I say did not want to do, it's typically out of fear. So doing things that you're a little bit uncomfortable with because you don't have that knowledge or expertise, those are the things that are going to really develop you as a leader because it's going to challenge you to think outside of your normal box. And that's kind of how I got into, into quality in a way, specifically that impatient side is I started reaching out and I said, hey, I'm interested in these things. And they started throwing out things I could work on. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. I wasn't trying to go that far, but I did it. And I found out that it is just an excellent area to continue to thrive in. So seek out those opportunities to do things that you don't want to do out of fear, because those are the ones that are, will really help you grow. And then as far as um, certifications or ways to kind of keep your education and your knowledge up, I definitely encourage getting certified. Um, and so CPHQ, Certified Professional in Healthcare Quality, is a certification that you can get through NACU. And it's really great because it helps you kind of bring all of quality together. It lets you talk about the different aspects. You learn about how the industry has transitioned as a whole. And it helps you refine that, you know, knowledge and skill set to work in a quality arena and speak with other quality leaders, both clinicians and non-clinicians. So I'd recommend if you have an interest in quality to definitely seek out getting that certification because I do find that it's beneficial, not just for personal and professional development, but you get access to a huge network of people, of information, just a great experience overall. And then lastly, keeping up on you know, knowledge and what's going on in the industry, I recommend reading two things every day, and I do this myself. So Becker's Hospital Review, they send out you know, their top like 10 or 20 hot topics for the day. And that'll always keep you on your toes. It'll let you know, you know, what's coming down the pipeline as far as quality, but overall just trends within the industry. So that's always a good resource because you can kind of see where things are going. And if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be at some point, it'll help you start, you know, getting that thought process going on how to react when these things inevitably happen down the line. And then the second thing is the advisory board daily briefing. So similar, they send out an article things that are happening in the industry, things to look out for, and that same thought of just knowing what's coming and how to prepare, but staying on your, staying on top of your toes and, you know, preparing for what's coming. So a long answer, but I think, you know, all of those things have been beneficial for me. And I'd recommend, you know, if you have any interest in just quality or just learning more about the industry as a whole, those are some helpful tips. 
Right. And I, I think the answer is perfect, honestly, because that is a huge part of my goals with this podcast is, you know, as, as others start to plug in to conversations like this, they are probably thinking something similar, you know, what she do, how she develop her skills, her background um, to get to where she is. And then I love, you know, so you're already sharing great resources. I'm literally over here taking notes <laughs> around Becker's and the advisory board. Those are two of my personal favorite resources. So for our listeners, um, you know, be sure to follow up on these. But literally, I, I take notes during the conversations. And then when the shows post, I still go back and I take my notes to see what I missed. Um, I want to touch on something you said, Brittany, because it's important to me. And I think this has been a theme in the last number of conversations I've had with leaders like yourself. But you mentioned fear being one of the best ways to move forward. Um, I've shared on some of the past episodes, a part of my daily reflection. The first question I ask myself is, did I do something today that scared me? And I've already had it. it I mean, we're having this conversation at 9 a.m. Um, I have a call with my business accountability partner at 8 a.m. And I went into that call today knowing I needed to ask her something that I was very nervous about. It was just some things that I've been thinking about in terms of my business. And I'm already like, oh, you know, she's the person I need to ask. And she's going to she's going to make me really look at myself and the decisions I need to make. And I asked it anyway. So, I mean, nine o'clock on a Monday, I've already had my first encounter of something that has scared me. And again, it's helping me take steps forward. So again, I just wanted to caps, you know, kind of highlight that because that question or that, that mindset allows us to take the next steps forward in our own personal development. So I just wanted to say that's phenomenal insight. Um, all of that said, I, I'm just curious to throw one more question at you, but you know, not to call it out, Brittany, but you're still, you look exceptionally young. You got the resume that's going to take you wherever you want to go in your career path. So I'm just curious to ask, what are, what are some personal goals that you're looking forward to over the, you know, maybe the next three to five or so years? I'm just, where, where's, where, where are you driving towards? That is an excellent question. And I feel like it, it changes just ever so slightly every other week. Um, but asking me today, I would say, you know, my, so I have my long-term goal and I think I'd eventually love to be a C-suite leader responsible for quality within an organization, whether that's, you know, on the inpatient side or on the payer side, I'm completely open to that. But I think that there is just, there's so much opportunity there. Um, you know, it's, it's inevitably going to continue to evolve. And I, I love that about quality because I know I'll never get bored. <laughs> so I'd say my, my big, like go big, go big or go home goal is C-suite. I think in the next three to five years, I'd love to just to, con I would love to just continue to thrive in the arena that I'm in. Um, so I'm working very closely with HEDIS and CMS star ratings, you know, those change annually. Um, and then there's always something, they always throw something extra out there every year for you to work towards. So I'd love to just continue to grow where I am now. I think a lot of our, I know rather that a lot of our reimbursement and our contracts are changing. So there's a lot of things that organizations have to prepare for. And I, I'd love to just continue to be part of that work moving forward. Awesome. Well, again, just the, the path that you're already on, my friend, I, the, the future is yours, sky's the limit. Um, so I'm, I'm praying for your success there. Um, Brittany, let me move you into this next question, because this is uh, kind of a fan favorite. 
but it's it's a little bit of a, a, a reflective question because what I love for you to do is to take us on a journey to a time that you would consider your best moment of failure. So I would love if you could, you know, share the story or the background with us, but most importantly, share with us the major lessons learned from that moment. Sure. So <laughs> it's funny because to this day, whenever I think about this experience, I'm like right back in that moment. Like I can feel my body reacting in the same way as when this was happening. It's just kind of crazy how, you know, the body remembers that. But so I had been, I had been working on this analysis and I can't remember exactly if it was for length of stay or mortality, but it was a very clinically specific analysis. Um, I had spent so much time putting this together. Um, I got my audience together and I was, I was ready to go. And for context, so my audience was clinicians. So it was medical directors, service line leaders, you name it. So I presented what I believed was a huge opportunity for us as an organization. Um, and you know how when you're presenting, you can usually feel the room and kind of gauge where everyone's at. Well, the room did not feel very friendly. Um, <laughs> I felt like everyone's eyes were literally burning right through me. I felt like everyone was defensive and on edge. Um, and at the end of my presentation, all I really felt like I got was a thank you. There was no, let's talk next steps. There was no, you know, real in-depth questions about everything. Um, it was kind of like, thank you, bye. And I was, I was devastated. And so I was like, well, first of all, I think everyone hates me. Second of all, I had worked so hard, you know, I thought I was providing what everyone wanted and now I'm just really confused. So I had at the time, she was my work bestie. Now she's one of my real life besties, but I was just talking to her after this happened and I was really, really frustrated and explaining what happened. Um, and she's actually a physician. And so I kind of told her what happened and she was like, look, you're talking to clinicians. You are not a clinician you really need to think about your delivery approach. And that was a huge eye-opening moment for me because um, I had never, I never really thought of it that way. From my perspective at the time, I was like, we have the data, you know, we can't argue the data. The data is the data. Um, but in order for us to really act on this data and determine what we can do to change the narrative, I needed a certain level of buy-in and support. And my approach in that presentation was just not conducive to getting those results. Um, so while it was a situation that was a fail at the time, it really taught me how to change my approach as a non-clinician in a very clinical, clinically driven space. Um, so I essentially stopped presenting, and I'm saying presenting in air quotes, and I started having conversations. Um, so moving forward, you know, I'd sit down a lot of times one-on-one -on -one moving forward. You know, I'd sit down with providers and I'd say, okay, here's what the data says. Here's how other similar health systems and other providers are performing. What are your immediate thoughts on the reasons for these differences? What barriers are you facing? And it, it's funny because nine times out of 10, their responses actually align with the data but the difference is that, you know, now I'm engaging them and coming to that conclusion. So then we can really talk next steps together. You know, I'll have, I'll have a baseline action plan for us to talk through and maybe agree on, um, but we can flesh everything out together. So rather than, you know, coming in like, you left your transplant patient in the hospital too long, they got a hospital acquired infection, we failed, fix it. <laughs> what happens with this adjusted approach is that, you know, after a few times, you've really built that relationship with them. 
you've established, you know, a certain level of trust. So now they know that your intent is aligned with theirs, which is essentially just better outcomes for all um, and just wanting healthcare to be better. So that experience was definitely devastating in the moment, but it has been a very critical learning moment for me that has been essential in my work moving forward. All right, perfect. So I, I love that story. And I'm willing to bet most of our quality leaders that plug in with this conversation, they've gone through um, their versions of that. So I remember the first time that happened to me, I was presenting some, um, I was working with a bunch of cath lab physicians and cath lab teams. I was presenting data on their turnaround times, you know, from the time the patients, you know, were in the pre-op to getting in the cath lab, the procedure, getting them back out. And the turnaround time at that time was bad, needless to say. And I'm presenting for the first time and they are ripping me apart. So you, you got lucky if they just looked at you, said thank you and get out of the room. Um, I mean, we went to war. How do we know the, the data is good? How do you, I mean, like they questioned everything and I'm like you, like the data is the data. Like what's your issues, right? Um, what I learned, so my version of maybe what you said, Brittany, is I started triaging the data, meaning that I take the data, then I go meet with these physicians independently, get their buy-in, help them understand it's trustworthy, you know, or the ins and outs of what's going into the, the calculations. They can see their performance. They can go ahead and get their excuses ready before the actual meeting. But um, yeah, it really came down to building relationships and then trying to put myself in their seat for a little bit to appreciate it, not just be the process improvement person calling them out and saying, get your stuff together. So that was my version of it. But any, any other takeaways? I mean, relationship building, putting yourself in their shoes, any other good takeaways um, from your experience there? I think those were definitely the two big ones and just trying to engage one-on-one. -on -one. I think sometimes when you present that data in a large setting, typically you will blind the data, but you know, people kind of get a feeling of who is who on inevitably in the data. So I've really found that working one-on-one -on -one is the best and most effective way if you can do it that way to kind of get moving on these type of initiatives. And it's funny you mentioned triaging the data because I... I, I've always kind of referenced using quality data and as people kind of go through the five stages of grief, right? So they're in denial. <laughs> I don't remember all the steps in order, but they're in denial. Then they cry, then they accept it or they get yeah. angry. You know what I mean? And I kind of feel like that's the process that you go through. So I feel like triaging the data is an excellent tip too, because you kind of give it in small chunks so that it's easier to digest. So I love that. Right. But no, I mean, your your analogy there, that the five stages of grief, that is exactly what it is. I, I wish I could remember them all right here on the spot, too. But it is denial, anger. Finally, they get to acceptance and they're just like, fine, Jarvis, what do you want us to do? Um, so perfect. Um, let's move up out of that dark place and move into the next question, because we're going down this path anyway. Um, Brittany, I love if you can give our quality people a tip, tool or tactic that you found works really well for building up those intimate connections within project teams that you've led. Um, share with us what it is and how do you apply? So it's pretty simple, honestly. I think kind of the secret sauce is really just encouraging a certain type of environment. Um, so anytime that I am working with a new group of people, I like to establish a, a few ground rules up front. 
First one is this is a safe space and a no judgment zone. So everyone's free to speak their mind. You tell me what you're thinking and feeling and why. You tell me what doesn't make sense. You tell me why you think something won't work or why this isn't the best route to take. And in doing that, you're really encouraging like this collaborative environment. And I think you open up the door to work most effectively because you're getting the best out of your people, right? Especially if you're working for or working with individuals from completely different aspects of the business, it encourages everyone to really equally contribute and it fosters, you know, this type of dialogue where you really get to the heart of what's going on. And then once we get to a certain point, everyone now has skin in the game because we've all hashed out all the details. So it's laid out there from the beginning. Um, so that's my first rule. I always clear that up very early. Secondly, is to just be your authentic self. Um, know and be open about your strengths and your limitations. And let's figure out the best, best way for all of us to work through those together. So whether that's giving you an opportunity to build up on your limitations, if that's what you desire, um, or allowing you to flourish in your strengths this round while we support another teammate working on something they'd like to improve on. So that's my second key ground, ground rule. And then the third one is just, let's just all agree to do our best with the understanding that some days are gonna be better than others. And that one's pretty self-explanatory. It's just, you know, come in, be willing to work hard. Every day might not be your best day, but we're a team and that's why we're here. We will pull you up when you're not having a good day. Um, so I think all of these rules, they kind of just help everyone kind of like woo-saw <laughs> from the beginning. Like everyone just relax. We know this is a lot of work. We know it's gonna be hard work, um, but just allowing everyone to kind of breathe, let them know they can be themselves. They can be vocal as long as they're you know still respectful. We can really get you know clarity of thought. We can be productive and we can honestly have a good time from the beginning. So I, I like to do that up front to kind of, you know, keep everyone on the same page so we can have an effective work session. So I do want to say I, I like I like the way you think. I mean, from the first 10 rules from Kobe Bryant, the Mamba rules to, you know, setting ground rules within your projects. I, I can see you you take a lot of the internalization, which at least for me personally, again, I'm, I'm an engineer by background, so I'm not internal at all. I'm external. <laughs> data process like what are you doing you're messing up my meeting sometimes um so i love i love your approach i mean it, it sounds like it's very internal and it's in a way like you said it creates the right environment for people to be super productive you know i don't want to say friendly but it sounds like you you allow them to be themselves but respectful on the back end to what everybody's trying to bring to the table so um kudos i, I just i love that mindset it, it sounds like you you push your teams in a very great way. I love yes. what you're sharing. Thank you. I, I try to do that. And I think it's even more important now with the virtual world, because I think people, I mean, it's been, you know, over a year now, so we have adjusted, but in, like when you're onboarding a new hire or something, you're in, bringing them into a completely new environment, despite, you know, their level of familiarity with, you know, teams or whatever virtual platform we're using. And so I just, I just like to set this up for them up front because I wanna make sure everyone feels comfortable. And I, I think that comes from knowing that that's how I work best and wanting to make sure that if that's how someone works best, setting that up for them from the beginning so that they can be successful. Love it, love it. Um, let me take you to this next question. Um, 
I'd love if you could share with us one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. But um, again, you know, walk us through the moment. How did the idea strike you? And, and most importantly, if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. So I actually think my best aha moment goes back to my big moment of failure when I was mentioning that story from earlier. Um, and I think the overall kind of aha moment is just making sure you really know your audience, especially working in healthcare and knowing that what works communicating with, you know, people in finance or in operations may not work um, when you're communicating with physicians or service line leaders. Um, so having that awareness of who you're speaking to and being able to address the what's in it for me, for them, is really the most effective way to get traction on any project or initiative in the professional space. So I mentioned earlier how I like to have conversations now rather than doing a lot of presentations for some of the quality data. So I always like to start that as well with kind of the what's in it for me. So here's why we're doing this. Here's why I think it would be meaningful for you. And I think establishing that upfront is very helpful as well. So just knowing your audience is, is really key. And it actually kind of goes back again to Kobe's 10 rules is learn storytelling. So learn how to tell the story in a way that is engaging and interesting to those that you need buy-in from. So put that perspective in there for them, change your story, you know, so that it resonates with them so they can get that connection and know what you're speaking of. Awesome. And the acronyms on those, so with them, what's in yep. it for me, the WISIC, why should I care? Mm -hmm. uh, love those takeaways, connecting back to storytelling. That's something they don't always teach us as quality professionals is, you know, beyond the data, beyond the regulatory impacts, there's a story to be told. So um, just want to connect those dots. I love it. Um, next question I have for you, uh, what are some of the changes taking place across the healthcare industry that you're personally excited about? And what role do you see quality professionals playing to support its longevity? So I would say definitely the transition to value-based care. So we are reaching a point, and honestly, we've basically already surpassed that point with the, pan the pandemic has been real proof of that, um, where healthcare is just no longer sustainable as it is. It's a finite resource, and we are in a crisis, and we, we were low-key in a crisis before COVID, if we really want to be honest about it. I think COVID just really brought it to a head for us a lot faster. You know, we've continued continue to see a decline in doctors and nurses across the country. We've continued to see strain financially on our health systems and healthcare has never really been that agile. That's just kind of what it is. So those reasons I just kind of listed out are really some of the key components of what value-based care was formed for. We have to find a way to contain costs and function efficiently while maintaining and ultimately improving outcomes for our patients. And organizations that are working proactively to get ahead of this transition are going to be the ones thriving when you know, the switch fully flips the other way and we're reimbursed just solely on outcomes. So I think that time is coming sooner than anticipated. So I think quality people really have a huge opportunity here because all aspects of healthcare quality are tied to a successful value-based care strategy for any organization. Um, so we need more people like us that are just kind of, you know, obsessed with processes, obsessed with outcomes to come in 
with their knowledge and their expertise and do the critical work to really readjust our care models and rethink how we're doing things. And not to drag this out, but also, so value-based care goes hand in hand with population health. Everyone always talks pop health, pop health, pop health. And population health only really, only improves when the outcomes of many individuals improve, right? And that's what value-based care is working to do. That's its goal. So if you have value-based care, you know, related to population health, okay, great. But then it prompts this other question and you can see I'm kind of going down this hole, but then it prompts the other question of, okay, how do we work towards population health and make it actionable? Then you get to talking about big data, which I also love. So there's a lot of opportunity there as well, because, you know, I think as we evolve as an industry, we're realizing how much data is out there that we just haven't really, really looked at. There is so much out there to be discovered and there's so much out there for us to continue to manipulate and you know, use to make decisions. So we need people with analytical skills. Uh, we need people with the ability to build predictive models and help sharpen our understanding of best practices and ultimately help us you know, reduce the strain on the system. So there's just so much work to be done in this space. Those are a few things that kind of get me excited, but I think quality professionals are just so uniquely position now to address all of those things with the knowledge that they have. You know, what, what I really get from that, uh, everything you just shared there, Brittany, is if you all want job security, <laughs> basically, <laughs> healthcare, healthcare quality is it. Um, and, and I say that jokingly, but you know, when you look at what's going on with a lot of, a lot of our other healthcare colleagues, you know, nurses and physicians and other providers specifically, um, the way that they are leaving the industry right now. But all that said, I think to your point, you know, it's going to call out the need for more people to come and balance a lot of these high quality outcomes that we need for healthcare. So, so for, for anybody looking for some opportunities, um, plays perfectly to this next question too. So how can the healthcare industry itself also become a more attractive place to pull you know, ambitious and, and talented quality professionals in to either start and or grow their careers? So that, that's a really good question. I, there's so much untapped opportunity within healthcare and just speaking personally from my experience, I never really thought of healthcare as a business until you know that opportunity I got at Aetna. So at the end of the day, healthcare is still a business. There's every aspect of, you know, a regular business as you would think of it within the four walls of a hospital or an ambulatory surgery center or a physician office. We have, you know, there's HR, there's IT, there's marketing, there's operations. Um, and I think as the industry continues to shift and adapt, it'll become even more apparent that there are just so many different paths within healthcare beyond just being a direct care provider, which was, you know, the insight I had at the time, you know, coming up in my career. And it's also interesting when you think about it, you know, healthcare, we're saying healthcare as a business, we also have consumers. They are our patients and they're becoming more and more vocal. They're becoming more empowered about the choices that, you know, they're able to make as far as it comes to their care. So we're at this crossroads where we really have to innovate. Um, so we can even now cue in people, you know, with an interest in healthcare that might have an entrepreneurial spirit. Like there's just so much opportunity here and we need that diversity of thought. Um, so I think as an industry, 
you know, just as we're beginning to be held to these new standards and have new levels of accountability as it relates to quality, this is the perfect perfect opportunity for quality people to come in. And I think just realizing that there are so many different aspects, not only of quality within healthcare, but just every other, you know, field within a healthcare system, I think that makes it exciting. And I'm hopeful that others, you know, as they, you know, become aware of those opportunities will choose healthcare as their career path. Okay, perfect. Well, I, I love your response again. Um, I want to double down on what you said about entrepreneurs, or I'll say entrepreneurs and or intrapreneurs mm-hmm. within the healthcare organization itself. But um, just from my view of the world, I'm seeing a lot more of it. And it's really, really unique. Um, There's some groups out there coming up with some just literally next level stuff, next generational thinking. Um, So a lot of things for talented people to get. So love your reply there. Um, Brittany, I want to move us into a part of the show that I call my two minute drill. This is kind of my version of a rapid fire Q&A, but uh, just popping over to you really quickly to see see if you're ready to rock and roll before we jump into it. I'm ready. All right, perfect. So First question I have for you is something of a two-parter where I first love you to tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, but then also share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? Gotcha. So I, within my role, I think I am inspired most by the opportunity to just work with so many different aspects of the business. Um, So in my role, for us to really be successful it requires the collaboration between you know, revenue cycles, so our documentation and our coding, um, our providers, our referral department, our front office staff, our back office staff, you know, just even external parties, it just really requires everyone to be engaged. So I love that I get to interact with so many different departments and learn about their work throughout that process. Um, and I love kind of, I kind of think of it as like the fundamentals. Um, there's actually a quote by Michael Jordan about fundamentals, but <laughs> which made me think about it. Um, I love basketball, if you can't tell, but just all of these aspects are just the fundamentals of, you know, a successful quality program and the role that I'm in. And so getting the fundamentals right, working with those groups effectively, learning about their work is really how you're successful. Um, so all of these, you know, departments and, you know, their independent functions we need those to thrive. So I get excited about that. I'm inspired by that because I get to learn about so many different parts. And I try to inspire, you know, others with that same excitement that I have. So I encourage, you know, my teams to continuously learn, like ask questions. I share what I've learned as well. And I hope that, you know, that energy, you know, is shared with others and they continue to seek the opportunity to you know, gain knowledge in areas that are unfamiliar to them so that, you know, we can continue to grow and thrive, you know, on our home team. Perfect. Well, I was going to say, you know, with your background hanging out in Indiana, (laughs) have no choice but to love basketball coming from basketball (laughs) country. But um, no, great, great insights there. Um, Brittany, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Best piece of career advice I have ever received is Everything does not require an immediate response or decision. Um, And I am uniquely wired in a way that I'm I'm always go, go, go. I'm really bad at relaxing. When I do relax, it's pre-planned, literally down to the minute. And as I'm sitting there, I'm looking at the clock, like, when can I, when can I go? Um, And that kind of 
uh, personality trait has really followed me into the professional space um, and that I've always felt that I had to move ASAP. Um, and I've learned through a handful of mistakes and reacting too soon that that's just not always the best approach. And I've honestly made some of the best decisions when I have deliberately decided to wait on moving. Even if I knew you know, what direction I planned on taking that waiting period, it really allowed me to thoroughly think things through and be 100% confident in any decision I have once I've made it. Um, so that was a really helpful piece of advice that I'm still actively working on today, but it's been really helpful. Great. Awesome. Um, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? I'm going to go big and say CEO. <laughs> I would love to see the discussions happening at the highest level of the organization. I'd love to know the questions they're asking or what's being asked of them, especially, you know, as the industry changes, as we see COVID, you know, constantly evolving as we're having these, you know, great staffing shortages across the country. So It'd be a hard job, I'm sure, but I'd love to just kind of get in there and see what the game plan is. <laughs> well, I, I'm already called it at the very beginning of our conversation. The sky is the future for you. You, you know, if you need me to call up your CEO and tell him, uh, <laughs> watch out, he's coming for that seat. <laughs> uh, next question I have for you, uh, Brittany, I'd love if you could share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement and I would say having a good information management system. So I feel like there's always, there are always so many things coming at you competing for the energy of your mind. Um, there's information coming from left, right, you know, in front of you, behind you. And I cannot rely on my brain to filter out, filter through all of that rather and retain what's most important and what's most meaningful. Um, I want to be able to use my mind for that creative thinking where I have to build something, not for recalling information. Um, so I have made it um, a very important habit of mine to establish a really good system for recording critical things on a regular basis. So at any point, I know exactly where I need to go to reference notes from you know, a particular day, a, part a particular event or meeting. Um, and then once I have those documents, I can refresh my memory on those details and then I'm good to go to use my brain for what I really think it should be working for, which is making those plans. All right, that was such a techno geeky answer. <laughs> and I, I love it. You were, you were on the right podcast today. So <laughs> I was like, she's such a quality person. <laughs> um, awesome. Um, Brittany, what is a go-to website or mobile application that helps you execute on? So this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about having a good information management system. So I, I actually just use OneNote for real time, you know, note taking in the professional setting. Um, so I can always reference back to those details. Um, and what I'll do is, so if I'm in like a meeting or something, I'll obviously jot down all the details, but then when it's time to come back and I review, that's where I kind of pull bits and pieces from to build that execution list for, you know, whatever I need to work on. Um, so OneNote is what I use most often in the professional space. I'm also pretty old school in that I still have a planner. Um, <laughs> I still have a pen and paper that I like to use. So I'll use OneNote to kind of record the notes. And then once I'm pulling from it to make that to-do list, that actually goes into a handwritten planner. I'd like to transition um, to something electronic or, you know, those daily to-do lists. So if you have some recommendations, I'm open to it. I've tried, I've failed miserably thus far, um, but those are the two tools that I like to use for that. 
All right. Well, so I'll, I'll up your game in both of those areas. Now, OneNote is one of my favorites. Um, I've recently started using a program called Notion. 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 I would say check it out. Literally, I, I've put everything from business goals to projects to like my daily workouts are now in Notion. And the, the app is beautiful and the website, the web page itself is beautiful. Um, but it, it is, I can't even describe it. Like it's everything OneNote is and a whole lot more. Um, basically, however you think, you can create a way to manage that style in Notion. Um, and then for a planner, so the planner that I use, it's called the Full Focus Planner. I just learned about that one. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've been using it now for about, so it, it's basically 90 days worth of planning in every in every booklet that you purchase. Um, so I've used it for the past two quarters now. I love it. Like you, you start off with setting up your goals, then that leads into your daily activities. It keeps you focused. It does a good job. I'm glad to hear that. That's I've been, you know, I followed um, their, the company on Instagram because I had heard about it somewhere and I've been researching, but I haven't pulled the trigger, but if you're recommending it, we're doing yeah. it. <laughs> it's worth it. And it's a four, I think I want to say it's like 24, 25 bucks more or less for one planner. Mm -hmm. um, so of course I bought one and then I bought another and then I just went ahead and bought like a whole year's worth because <laughs> I was like oh, okay I finally found the planner that I'll, that I'll actually do and they have videos that kind of walk you through like okay for this part of the planner this is how we recommend setting up your 90-day goals your monthly goals your weekly goals etc so the videos are helpful too oh um, I love it yeah and of course that is for everyone in our audience this this is so much bigger than just me and Brittany sharing tips and tech but um yeah I love both of those notion oh man I, I'm in love with notion I might have to figure out how to invest so <laughs> sorry back on script back on script um Brittany uh could you share with us um a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value at so both a professional society and conference that I would recommend is NAQ um that's the National Association for Healthcare Quality the organization, organization itself is just, you know, a huge network of individuals, you know, across the country, quality professionals. There's also state chapters as well. Um, they have an annual conference, which was virtual this past year, but it was hands down one of the best conferences I've attended in a while. Um, they had great speakers discussing some of the hot topics in healthcare, um, as well as just overall professional development. They had sessions about, you know, public speaking and how to be more effective as a leader and things of that nature. And you were just surrounded, you know, by others that share that same passion. So it's a really great group um, to kind of connect with others and develop both personally and professionally as well. Um, and another one I'll give honorable mention to, Vizient. Um, I've, I worked with Vizient previously. They are a great organization. They are on top of the quality game and they have some great resources and um, they call them analytics and improvement managers there that work with leaders within hospitals um, and other healthcare settings as well. But they just share so much knowledge um, throughout working with them and their website just has a wealth of knowledge as well. So I'll give them honorable mention too, but those are two uh, great organizations that both have annual conferences as well that I'd recommend. Perfect. And we'll also give a shout out to the state level versions of NACU um, because Brittany, that's exactly the role you're stepping into is with our Georgia 
um, Association for Healthcare Quality as our secretary. So again, I wanna thank you for that. But to all of our quality people, if you can't get to the national NACU groups, check out your state. There are definitely across most all states, I think now have a version of that. Um, Brittany, if you could recommend one book to our quality people, what would it be and why? I would recommend, it's called The Price We Pay. And it's The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. And it's by Dr. Marty Makari. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm only about a third of the way through the book and I'm already naming it <laughs> a new favorite. It was recommended by an, a former coworker and it is excellent. Um, so I'm sure you know, but just a little stat to kind of give some conference or context, excuse me. One in five Americans now has medical debt in collections um, and rising healthcare costs. You know, everyone knows that that's a problem as well. So this book, um, Dr. Makari, he's a physician and he travels across the country sharing stories of patients that have been crushed by healthcare costs. And then he goes and talks to the hospital leaders and physicians about the experiences that their patients are having, most of which they are just completely unaware of. Um, and he shares how healthcare has kind of lost its care component. Um, and so he wrote this in an effort to kind of help restore medicine to its true mission. So it is, it is an excellent book. There's some really moving and compelling stories in there. He does a lot of research in healthcare overall. So highly, highly recommend. Perfect. Now, thank you for that. I, I love great book recommendations. So again, I've noted it and I'll be checking it out myself. So appreciate you for that one. Um, Brittany, we are right there at our very last question for this, uh, for this interview, but I'm giving you the heads up that this is a personal favorite because I'm gonna to try to get you to reflect on your past while you also look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send yourself one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? So I'll keep it pretty simple. I would say 10 years in the past, I would say it's gonna be okay. I think, you know, growing up, and all of us have probably experienced this, life never goes as you expect it, especially when it comes to your career. You kind of have these freak out moments, you know, you think you're not going to be successful, you're afraid of failure. I would just say it's going to be okay. Deep breath. <laughs> and then I think 10 years into the future, I would say just do it, like just take that chance, you know, go for that leadership role, start that, you know, new initiative for the company, you know, live your professional career to its fullest. Do everything you want to do. Try to do it, attempt to do it. If you fail, you know, it's not fatal. Everyone will survive. So I would tell myself, just do it, you know, go for it and believe in yourself along the way. I love it. Love both of those. Um, Brittany, I can't thank you enough again, just for this time to hang out with you this morning, to learn more about you and all of the, the rules and structure and wonderful, wonderful mindset that you're building on. So really appreciate you so much. Um, before we end today, I love if you could just give us that one parting piece of advice, um, share with our audience the best way that they can connect with you or follow you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. The best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. So I'm just Brittany Fennell on LinkedIn. I love to engage with everyone on LinkedIn. I'm trying to become more active and start posting myself. So that's a new goal for me that I'm working on for 2022. So be on the lookout, connect with me there. And I'd love to talk with all of you. Perfect. Well, um, Brittany, I again have to thank you so much. I know we're going to be hanging out in just a few weeks 
when we get together for our uh, strategy session. But, um, you know, again, thank you for everything you're sharing here for our quality people everywhere. Um, thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Brittany, and we're signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.